Hey there, it's JVL. On The Secret Show with Sarah Longwell today, we talked about the superseding indictment, Hunter Biden, and the new campaign that Sarah's running. Here's the show. Uh, okay. Indictment 2.1? Is that what we can call no, last night? This, this is three. This is the full, full three. No, this is the superseding indictment that we got last night. We haven't gotten the oh. third one yet. So last night we got the superseding indictment, which is Jack Smith's updating of the last indictment, the documents case, in which it adds uh, a new target and oh, new yeah. charges. Oh, yeah. You know what? It's so funny. I've like read about, I, I, you know, spent, I read all the stuff and it's still in my head. I was like, this is the third indictment because there's so many indictments. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and then when you just said that, I was like, oh, wait. Because I was like, wait, the third one's going to be Georgia. And then I was like, no, it's the January 6th is the third one. Yes. And then probably Georgia. But you're right. This is actually, this is still the Docs case. Uh, and for some reason, and this is why I don't think that Americans, this can impact them, is because when close political observers, uh, like it all just washes over you as like, one big ball of legal catastrophe for Donald Trump that will make no difference uh, to any voters. It's like hard to parse. <laughs> So the new defendant is Carlos de Oliveira, who is a Mar-a-Lago property manager. And I'm just going to read you one paragraph from Kim Whaley's piece about this. On Monday, June 27th, de Oliveira approached employee number four, asked him to step away from his office, and walked with him through the basement tunnel. Once inside a small room called the audio closet, de Oliveira allegedly told employee four that, quote, the boss wanted the server deleted. End quote. The server here has uh, surveillance photos and surveillance video of them going and trying to move documents they shouldn't have. Later that day at 3.55 p.m., Trump called De Oliveira and they spoke for approximately three and a half minutes. This is the I mean, I can't tell if this is more like a spy movie or more like Arrested Development. It feels like Arrested Development, like there's always money in the banana stand. But uh, it's I mean, just it's all bad. It's all very bad. And the most interesting thing is that uh, what Kim says, maybe the most interesting, the most politically relevant thing is that because of this superseding indictment, the planned trial date of May 2024 is likely to be moved back past November 2024. Mm -hmm. So this trial now is is possibly going to take place post-election. And uh, what this means is that the two other co-defendants with Trump have every reason in the world not to cut a deal. Because the uh, from their perspectives, their get-out-of-jail-free card is, like, the big guy wins the presidency and just pardons us. Yeah, We hang with him. Great. Great job, America. And nobody's going to care. This is right... Nobody's going to care like this. How many how many votes are going to be moved by the fact that he's under criminal prosecution for like stuff that's kind of serious? No, no one. Nothing's going to be moved on the primary side. Um, I think the question is, is what happens on the general election side? Do you think it's going to move people? Because right you know, now the matchup yeah. polling Trump is I wrote about this this it week. Is. He's polling five percent better, five points better than he performed in 2020 against Biden. Yeah. So this is the thing. I mean, 
I am uh, yelling at anyone who says that Trump's easier to beat than, you know, anybody. I'm like that that Trump can't win or I'm like, you got absolutely he can. And I listen to swing voters. There's a lot of backsliding among swing voters. I've I've mentioned this on the secret podcast. When I get back into uh, doing the focus group podcast, I'm going to prove it to everybody and let you listen to how some of these swing voters sound. Um, I mean, we just we did a swing voter group last night. And uh, of the, they were all people who voted for oh, Trump no. in sixteen. Sorry, I'm just. Gonna, it's, oh it's, no! It's, it's, not, it's not the. This actually, this was actually a slightly better group than we've seen. It was actually slightly better, but um, you know, they so they voted for for Trump in sixteen, Biden in twenty. Six would vote for Biden today. Uh, mm-hmm. Two would vote for Trump. Um, so he's lost two people out of this group. It's usually a little more. The bad, the really bad news though was. Uh, when they none of them had heard of no labels, but when we said this third party ticket might be the, like, they were all like, "Yeah, I'll vote for that." Ooh. And and so uh, <laughs> not not ever not everybody, but like some. And this is this is where um, you know I think there's the, going to be this really key group that we'll call the double doubters, or where they sort of do a pox on both their houses. Um, that were willing to go for Biden the first time because he was sort of theoretically just a safe alternative to the Trump chaos, uh, but who they do, they sort of don't think he's done a good job. Um, they, you know, are upset about the economy. Uh, although I will say when we, uh, when the moderator was like, so things are, um, you know, do you feel like things are improving, you know, as the economy has gotten better? And we and they were all like, oh, yeah, no, it has gotten better. Like, and here's some examples of improvement. So like they were actually they would acknowledge it when you raised it, which is, I would just say, evidence that the Biden administration really needs to start talking to people about <laughs> it being good. Because when you tell people it's good, they're more likely to be like, yeah, yeah. You should just good. trademark the phrase Bidenomics and say it every Every fifth sentence, don't you think? Maybe, but they need to be like Bidenomics good, economy good. I don't even yeah. think Bidenomics, just economy good, economy good. Um, anyway, but but I do think that this uh, these double doubters are going to be kind of the ball game and also the question of like, it, and I think it's probably the answer is still yes, that Trump inspires big turnout. But like, you know, do people, are people just like less amped about it? But but. Uh, the one call. So as as nervous as I am, as nervous as I am from what I hear in the focus groups, there's also the fact that like Trump is mostly sitting on truth social sounding like a lunatic. Um, and so like voters aren't seeing as much of him as like we are who sit and see these like weirdo things that he's putting out. I think the question is, is what happens when you really are looking at Trump closely again? This is it always happens with Trump that he the more you see of him the less people like him, right? Like, theoretically, people take it, like, right now, I think there's, oh, yeah, I liked the economy more under Trump. But I think when people see him, there's there's a, some of that might subside. What did they think of the indictments? Uh, did they know anything about them? Yeah, people know about the indictments, but, you know, people can't, uh, so I would say, uh, People think that Trump did it. Even in Trump groups, oftentimes people think that he did it, like did something wrong. <laughs> they they just, but here's what they say. I'm, I'm sure I've told, I must have talked about this. They this all do like, it? Yeah, Biden does it. Hillary, Hunter, what about, what about, what about? 
Um, to, and that's why it's a two-tiered justice system, because Trump getting in trouble for something that all these other guys have done, like, no, that that's how they think about it. And that's why you see in the polling a discrepancy between people who think Trump is guilty, where lots of people will say, yes, we think he's guilty, but it's not, doesn't seem to impact his head-to-head polling. So, Kim, this is a great segue to to Hunter. So we had some Hunter news this week. And you're right. There is a two-tiered system of justice. On the one hand, we have Donald Trump fighting all of this stuff tooth and nail. On the other hand, we have Hunter Biden, who has been under investigation by a U.S. attorney who was appointed by Trump and who started investigating Hunter Biden under Trump and who Joe Biden refused to replace when he took power. Because he did not want to interfere in this investigation. This U.S. attorney uh, forced Hunter to cop to a plea deal three months ago, two months ago, uh, on charges in which he was going to plead guilty. And that deal went and many people were upset about it and said it's a sweetheart deal. And that deal went as all plea agreements do to judicial review with the presiding judge to look at it. This judge, also appointed by Donald Trump, this judge looked at the deal and questioned both sides and said, yeah, I uh, I don't think you guys actually agree on what the terms of the deal are here. And uh, this is not looking kosher. You guys go back to the drawing room and figure it out. Look at this two-tiered system of justice where all of the justice stuff works with Hunter Biden. <laughs> oh, and, and yesterday... The White House uh, was asked about pardoning Hunter Biden and flatly said, no, we will not pardon him. That is not on the table. So, yes, it's a two-tiered system of justice. The system of justice works very well with Hunter Biden, (laughs) basically exactly as we would all want it to. Yeah. Am I wrong about that? No, I don't think you're wrong about this one. Uh, I I like with the Hunter, again, this Hunter Biden stuff. is a story that I just cannot, I, I am not going deep on it. Um, but I, w- I, I have more of an impression really of the way Biden, the, the administration has handled the Hunter stuff, uh, which I think has been quite good. Um, Thank you. Thank I, you. I, I, well, I, I mean, I, I just think that they, like the saying pardoning is off the table is exactly the right thing to say. Uh, we certainly know that Trump would pardon absolutely uh you know, Ivanka. Any, yeah, right. Um, Maybe not Eric. Eric's stupid. He didn't like <laughs> Eric all that much. And uh, definitely not the the Tiffany. 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 <laughs> Tiffany would have to yeah. go to jail and do Orange is the New Black. But he would absolutely pardon uh, Don Jr. and Ivanka. Yeah. Uh, so. I don't know. And and I think that, yeah, the Biden crime family. You hear people say, I, I mean, I, I think if Hunter goes to jail. I think it loses Joe Biden. This is the one thing. None of the people in the swing voter groups, like the way that they viewed the Hunter Biden stuff is like, and even uh, we asked about the granddaughter, which by the way, I don't think you and I have talked about, but I think is really bad. Um, I wrote about it. It's very bad. It's extremely bad. And I, I, I think it is impossible to look at that and see Hunter Biden as anything but a bad person. A bad, he's, I mean, Hunter Biden is clearly, I think. A really not good person, um, but I think well, the he way was that- clearly a troubled person, right? And you know, maybe, but but I think the 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 daughter stuff pushes us way out past troubled and into just you are a bad person. But but don't you think? What about Biden? What about I mean, he's got this 
granddaughter out there. I find it, I do find it shocking. I, I mean, I don't know, right? You like don't know the what's going on here exactly, but uh, I think you do know that there is a grandchild of his that exists in the world that he has not seen uh, or acknowledged. And I think that that is, I don't know. I don't know how to it's read that great. other than- It's no. not great. I, I Look, I mean, his son placed him in an impossible position where his son was denying paternity on this kid. And Biden is a public figure. And he's like, so what is Biden supposed to do? Is Biden supposed to go against his kid who's denying paternity and embrace the the- the granddaughter is she, it's been established paternity right now been it has established. been established right right it has been it has been established but they were also in the the process with all of the okay now the paternity has been established what is hunter going to do in terms of uh you know making good to her and her mother and it just he places he placed biden in an impossible position i don't think anything biden did could have been good but not seeing and embracing the granddaughter is bad to me, it is flatly bad. I, I don't yeah, think there's any bad. other way. And I, 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 I'm sure there's a lot I don't know and whatever. But I think uh, I don't. I just can't see a scenario in which you don't fully, don't fully agree, fully acknowledge, uh, and go like I don't know. Paternity's established. Go see the kid, and I, I don't know. I, so, so, but I will tell you that from the voter standpoint, the voters have like a. Oh yeah, there's one of these in every family. Like they just don't hold it against you know every so people addiction and having a member of your family be like troubled is a thing that a lot of people can relate to and like none of, just they just all dismissed. They the the things that they didn't care about were like they didn't care about the anything with the Biden family stuff. They just see that as a personal issue and not relevant. Um and then also uh they, we asked about the idea of Biden getting impeached. Um, and like oh, what did they woman, think about that? One woman was like, how hard can I roll my eyes? Like, they just thought it was stupid. Um, the idea of impeaching That's Biden. interesting to me. Yeah, so do it? you think that could, do you think that could help well, That's Biden? what I said on the next level. But yeah, I thought if they and tried I've been thinking about that him, a lot. I think if they tried to impeach him, I would say uh, it ultimately works for Biden. And I, I explained why on the next, but like, I think that... A lot of the there's just a lot of like um what would I, what what would be the right word like ambivalence toward Biden from the left right. you know and uh, his low poll numbers as we've discussed many times reflect uh, that at least there's a chunk of Democrats who don't approve of his job ostensibly probably because he's not progressive enough and he's there they view him I as think not that's doing enough probably right yeah and so I think you get a rally round Biden. Uh, from the impeachments. What uh, if it's just an impeachment inquiry? Like, what if they don't get all the way to the vote? Yeah, I still like, think... Like, can they thread that needle where the Republicans say, see, we did impeachment, but they don't do it in such a way to create a backlash? You know, these are hard. It's hard because you've got to see, like, kind of how it plays and how they do right. it. I just think these... Like, if you... If, if the Committee on Weaponization of Government is any indication, uh, these guys are not particularly good right now at the inquiry side like they're stepping all over their genitalia um and i just i i i I would if i had to lay money it would on an impeachment inquiry of any kind where they tried to get it that they end up helping biden solidify his base 
making reminding people of why they hate Republicans. And some of it's just from how much I watched Republicans rally around Trump when they go after him. Um, so, yeah, I think I, that that is that's that's how I think it would play. I think they do it at their peril. OK, uh, you have started a new campaign, had a big, uh, big launch in The New York Times. Um, would you like to tell the people about it? Because this is one of the 15 different hats you wear. Yeah, I don't usually talk about the stuff we do on the more activist side. We don't have to um, if you don't want to. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, no, no. I Well, I, I do want to talk about it just because I, I think that it's worth, look, we talk a lot on both the next level and here, like, what do we think the right strategy is and what is going to shake Trump loose? And I think everybody here knows that I also do work on the, like, we try to figure out how to, I mean, we spent... Tens of millions of dollars in 2020 trying to uh, elect Biden and defeat Trump through our uh, Republican voters against Trump campaign. In 2022, we were the biggest outside spender against Carrie Lake. We went after all of the election deniers. Um, also helped some pro-democracy Republicans. And like that's the lens through which you know, I think we spent like $22 million in 2022 um, on trying to defeat the anti-democracy Republicans. And so... Uh, I don't, I, you know, Donald Trump is cruising to this nomination and I'm not sure what we can do to disrupt it, but doing the focus groups, which I do both to tell all of you guys what the people are thinking, but also for strategic reasons to try to understand what can you do to loosen Trump's grip on the party? Is there anything you can do? Um, and obviously in my analysis, I'm pretty uh, bearish on our ability to not to have Trump be the nominee, but there's one path, and I've talked about this on the next level. Um, Tim and I were arguing about it actually this week a little bit, uh, which is that there is there has been a chunk of voters this whole time, right? I, I talk about the party. I think there's sort of 30% always Trumpers, 30% maybe Trumpers, 30% move on from Trumpers, and then maybe 10% never Trumpers. And those 10% tend to be distributed in between sort of Asa, Chris Christie, heard and maybe like a Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, right? Um right. but then there's the move on from Trumpers and those were DeSantis people. They really wanted and that there's a reason that the way people talked about DeSantis, especially when DeSantis was just really popping after 2022. I mean, we could barely find somebody who wanted to immediately say like, yeah, I'm all in for Trump. Um those move on from Trump people and even the maybe Trumpers were really DeSantis curious and really excited to see him. And the way they talked about him was Trump without the baggage. And that is because they catastrophize about Joe Biden, right? Donald Joe Biden is the worst president in history. We're in a great yeah. depression and everything, you know. And so they want someone who can win. They want someone who can win. And electability really matters. And this is where I've said this a thousand times. Like, I do not understand the DeSantis team strategy. Like, they had a very clear path, which was to consolidate the move on from Trumpers, get to 30%, and start working their way with that viability into the maybe Trumpers. And make a case for, like, Trump was a great president, but also he's too old. He, you know, he screwed, he, you know, swing voters are never going to vote for him because he tried to overturn an election. Like, and maybe you can, I understand that it is dicey to see how hard you can go. Um, but I think a talented politician would have figured it out. Ron DeSantis turned out to be not the least bit of a talented politician. And in fact, none of the other ones are either. I find it almost insane that after seven years of people having seen Trump, seen it, what failed against him last time, 
nobody has been able to like figure out how to take him on or like they're all doing the same things they did in 2016. Like no one's changing strategy. Um, and you know, so these voters got to look at DeSantis and they now, you know, they've basically been like, "Eh." um, so, but there is this, the, even with people who say, I definitely want to vote for Trump. If you ask them, like, do you think he can win a general election? Even those voters are like, "Uh, I don't know. Uh, And so, like, that's it. That's the one central anxiety. The one hang up people have about Trump is that he has too much baggage. We hear it over and over and over again. I think he has too much baggage to win um, a general election. And I think we need somebody else who can win. And so that was it. That was the only door we saw cracked open with voters where there's room for persuasion. And so, you know. I've always, all the campaigns that I run have a messaging strategy in which the messenger is the message. And so in 2020 and in 2022, we found lots of, uh, you know, people who'd voted for Trump the first time or people who'd been lifelong Republicans, all talking, making the case, making testimonials, videos, real people talking about why they couldn't support Trump. And we turned those into ads and ad campaigns. We put them on billboards. We put them on TV. And they have tremendous persuasion effect because you can build sort of a tribe within a tribe, people who can maintain their Republican identity, but not vote for uh, not vote for Trump and either just not vote, leave it blank or vote for Biden. And obviously, you know, when you have somebody who voted for Trump in 16 and they vote for Biden in 20, that's a net voter. You get two votes for that Mm -hmm. because you take one from Trump and you give one to Biden. Take a banana, take a buck. That's right. Yes. Uh, and so that is when you have those net voters, that's gold, right? That's what you need to swing an election. And it worked, right? Turnout super high across the board. But Biden won the double doubters in 2020, even though people who like weren't that into Biden were, I don't want to vote for a Democrat, but like he won them over. I think it's going to be a little harder uh, going into to 24, as we talked about. But on the primary side, we knew that we were like the only credible messenger. It can't be somebody who it has to be people who voted for Trump twice. And we knew that was going to be hard to find. But we uh, we worked on it for the last six months and we have uh, over 70 testimonials from two time Trump voters uh, talking about why Trump shouldn't be the nominee. And they sound just like the people in the focus groups. Like we knew that these people were there to go find. And um, and here's the thing about them, like. Unlike the other past two campaigns that we've done, those people were like us, essentially, or like closer to 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 like people who had been identified as Republicans and now were. Yeah, they right. were. I've been yeah. a Republican my whole life, but I just can't do this. That's right. right. And That's right. These are not that. These are not that. And so like, <laughs> I was not sure we could get this campaign done. Um, but you know, I got a crack team. Over so what are they, what is, what are the, what are the, give, give me a, for instance, what is, what is a, a paraphrase and ad for me? I uh, voted for Trump twice and I think he's the greatest president of my lifetime and I wish he could be president again, but I just don't see how he could do it. Lurleen. I don't, don't, they don't have that accent. Uh, I mean, actually, some of them do have, like, <laughs> some of them have sort of a Southern accent. I, mean, I don't know exactly what accent you're doing, but some people have a Southern accent. Hey again, it's JVL. The conversation goes on from there. If you want to hear the rest of the show, head on over to Bulwark Plus and subscribe. We'd love to have you.